before I discovered Bitcoin, I always was just like, well, it's how the world works. And eventually we're going to pay for it. Packing bowls and freeing souls from America's heartland. You're listening to Bowl After Bowl with Lorian and Spencer. Streaming value for value and weed is an excellent combination. The Bowl After Bowl guys are pushing the value for value so hard. All cash, baby. So hard. So hard. Oh, my God, yes. Oh, give it to me. I'm sure they were just jizzing all over themselves for that. That's an amazing story, man. That's cool as fuck. That guy's probably a dancer. Odds are pretty good. That guy could be a dancer. Hey, everybody. It's a beautiful Sunday. Thanks for hanging out. We are live right after the No Agenda show on the mighty No Agenda stream, as well as stream.bowlafterbowl.com. It's a special Sunday edition of Bowl After Bowl. We like to call them Bowls with Buds. Episode 193 on October 2nd, 2022. I am Sir Spencer Wolf, Kansas City. I'm Dame DeLorean. And joining us is Bitcoin author, author of The Seventh Property, Bitcoin and the Monetary Revolution. Give a warm welcome to Eric Yakes. Yo, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate having you on here. So uh, I did want to re-explain ourselves for those new uh, to the format or to the show. Uh, This is another episode of Bowl After Bowl. We do Bowl After Bowl every Tuesday night following DH Unplugged on the No Agenda stream right around 9 central time, U.S., and um, then Bowls with Buds, they're little um, bonus episodes that we get to do every once in a while when we can get a bud together with us in the bowl and uh, just kind of talk about some interesting stuff and uh, things that kind of overlap both of our interests, get to know one another. Uh, and I got to say, Eric, when, when I said, whoa, whoa, that's coming in hot. That, by the way, is the sound of a boostagram rolling in. I'm going to crank that sound a little bit. Uh, down just a tiny bit, but you can send little pieces of Bitcoin to the show in forms of a boostagram, and uh, they'll knock over all those pins. And we have set up our brother Eric Yakes with a th- a third of those a third of those sats going uh, straight over to you, sir. So uh, just so everybody's clear about that. Hell yeah, got you in there in a value split. Um, but I did want to say, yeah, ever since you came and talked to uh, our Casey Bitcoiners meetup. And uh, I actually have the date written down here in the book. I bought, I bought your book um, from my node over Tor from my home node, which still, every time I get a chance to do something like that, it just blows my mind all over again. Uh, it was August 4th, so it's been almost two months um, that you came and spoke to us in Westport. And uh, I bought your book at block height 748003. For 130,000 sats. Um, I just thought I'd like make all those notes here in the front of the book because that'll be interesting, I think, in years down the road to look back and uh, you know see how much we eventually paid. Yeah, I can't believe it's already been two months since then. Is that wild? Uh, yeah, time's fine, man. It was, it was great coming out and talking to you guys. What you guys are doing out in KC is pretty badass. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I, w- I will say we, we get a lot of guest speakers every once in a while um like in a regular rotation but uh 
You really had the this spark of this after discussion that uh, was really cool to see. Like just the way you got everybody talking about uh, the more in depth concepts and uh, and everything. You know, we always have great speakers, but it just seemed like the after huddle was so intense. You know. <laughs> um, yeah, we were. We had like a we had a cool little open discussion going, and uh, yeah, you guys are all pretty deep. You guys are really involved. I can tell that like everybody really cares a lot about what's happening. Yeah, definitely. And that meetup was hosted at a restaurant that accepts Bitcoin, right? That, yeah, that's right. So um, Bricks is one of the few places that have kind of been onboarded to accept Bitcoin for payments. So they, I think the first thing we did with them was our original block party earlier this spring. We did a Bitcoin block party with an outdoor uh, Bitcoin market where you could buy, uh, you know, vendors were selling goods in, in sats. And Lorian had a booth there. That was so much fun. That was like her first time really vending stuff in sats to the general public, which was... Eye-opening. Just, it was so seamless. It all worked so well. The BTC pay server. <laughs> um, I don't know uh, if you'll be in town or around, Eric, but we're doing uh, a Blocktoberfest. We're going to do this thing again here in a few weeks uh, on the 23rd. Of October. Ooh, that sounds pretty cool. You know, I, I'm not planning on it, but I do come out to KC somewhat frequently. My sister lives out there, and uh, yeah, I got a good amount of friends out there. I'm a big barbecue fan, so I'm always open to a KC trip. Definitely. No, it's a great spot to uh, hang out for a while, and it's nice that it's, like, centrally located, too. You know, it's not, no matter where you happen to be, it's not too far necessarily right, out of right. the way. Or it's always on the way to somewhere else, too. <laughs> Right. Yeah. No, Casey's like a lot bigger city than I think a lot of people realize. And yeah, man, I, I have a great time out there. I love going out there. There's a ton of stuff to do. There's a lot of good beer, too. I like going to the, uh, uh, what is it, the Boulevard Brewery. That's yeah. a good time. Um, I love it being kind of a sleeper city because it means traffic isn't too crazy. It means prices aren't too crazy. But you can still have an excellent time. And people are always like... Um, People always get more than they expect just because of that aspect, I think, which is really cool. Right. Makes yeah, it and if they hit a Chiefs game, then they're pretty blown away. The, oh, yeah. Yeah, bring in high-energy loudness with the Chiefs games. Um, also, I do want to mention, so the Boostagrams are rolling in. We also have a voicemail line if you have a question for Eric. Uh, 816-607-3663 is the number. You can call and leave a voicemail, or you can send in a text um, as we kind of get through and go through our discussion here but uh traditionally here on bulls with buds the first thing we do when we sit down with a guest especially if it's their first time in the bowl with us is we kind of talk origin stories and um uh, kind of how we came uh, into contact with one another so i've kind of explained um that you came and talked to our casey bitcoiners group a couple months back uh but i was curious how how we got you here? Did Mitch like reach out to you or find you? And, and um, how did you kind of get summoned and booked for that? Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool story. So like, you know, when I was first starting off on all this, um, I didn't know anybody in the industry. And, and really, it was just like me spending time on Twitter that kind of got a little bit of the spotlight around some of the stuff I've been working on. But, you know, when I was initially kind of 
developing a following and interacting with different people on Twitter, Mitch was one of the first people that I encountered. Nice. And um, so we were just like Twitter bros for a little bit. And then I was down in Miami. And before I had published my book, I had like all the chapters put up in draft form um, before they went through like a formal editing process and stuff like that. And I was like requesting feedback from different people in the community. And yeah, Mitch and I got together for drinks one night in Miami, 2021. And okay. just off, and I was like, Mitch is a cool bro. Definitely. And, then, and that's kind of how it all started. And I just kept in touch with the KC Bitcoiner guys. You know, I met Don. I can't, can't remember exactly the first time. Oh, you know, I met him at a Bitcoin day. That's what it was. And um, and yeah, so Don and I have been pretty close as well. You know, I've known these guys for over a year now. And I was coming out, you know, Mitch was like, you got to come talk at one of these meetups at some point. And I was coming out to go visit my sister for her birthday. And they're like, come on by and give a chat and that was pretty much how it all happened. Awesome. So just organically, you just kind of like uh, put it on the horizon and it will manifest. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So like Mitch is one of my OG Bitcoiner guys and he was like one of the first big supporters of my book who read it. That's very cool. And uh, speaking of your book, we did have a, uh, a chance to read the thing since we have bought it. Both Lorian and I have read it and I actually have to confess um, because... I know some people in the in the podcasting thing they point to me as like the channel guy or the node guy or the lightning guy or something and I'm uh, I try to explain to people that I am just really not the genius when it comes to everything uh and yours is the first and so far only bitcoin book physically I've read cover to cover um so Oh well it's funny man like I actually haven't even read very many bitcoin books you know I read the bitcoin standard years ago mm-hmm. when I was first First getting into it, um, you know, I, I've picked through a few books that are kind of peripheral. They're like involved in Bitcoin, but they're not directly Bitcoin books. Sure. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it was funny. It was actually funny because I'm working on research right now with Alan Farrington and him and I were having that conversation because he, he also authored a book, you know, and he's like, yeah, I haven't read like any Bitcoin books except for yours. And I was just like, that's pretty funny. That's you know? wild. So it's kind of yeah. funny how like the authors haven't really read a lot of the other Bitcoin books. That's funny. Um but yeah, there's there's definitely a good amount of them, and I kind of hear about new ones all the time. And, uh, you know, people just kind of come at it from a lot of different angles. And one of the angles that I wanted to come at it from, you know, my background was in finance. And um, I wanted to write something that was a bit more measured for kind of people coming out of my world. Sure. It really lays out the investment thesis. I, I, I didn't want it to be quite as theoretical as a lot of things in Bitcoin, which is fine. It's It's just a very different narrative that doesn't work as well with like financial folk yes Um, you know they need like tangible arguments and um you know really evidence-based explanations of you know why something is true like you know one thing when i read the bitcoin standard um you know obviously a very successful and popular book but you know he gets a lot more into like the you know kind of like ethical side or like um you know these very theoretical arguments for why are you know like time preference and things like that which it's not really that I disagree with any of that, but, you know, I think if we're, you know, when we're onboarding people to Bitcoin and we're trying to bring in like more sophisticated institutions, uh, which is a very different world from like plebs and retail and all of that, uh, but very important because like if Bitcoin's going to become global money one day, then it needs, you know, people like that to be backing it and building out infrastructure that support it. That um, You know, they, they need some sort of a resource that's a little bit different. And, uh, but to my surprise, after I wrote the thing, it actually ended up doing much better with a broader audience than I would have expected. And a lot of people outside of finance kind of gravitated towards it. Um, so that was kind of the cool thing about it. Well, I think that there's probably a few different reasons that I could uh, 
um, see that being the case. One, uh, which I want to get into, one is that you make the fantastic decision of um, of organizing the book and the way you organized it. And there's kind of like these clear first half and second half of the book where the first half kind of uh, talks about the history of money and eventually the history of fractional reserve banking and eventually the history of the central banking here in the United States specifically. And then the second half seems to be kind of just uh, all about Bitcoin um, and what it is and why it's going to solve certain problems that are introduced in the first half. And this uh, fun decision to start every chapter in the first half with a Mike Tyson (laughs) quote and every chapter in the second half with a Kanye West quote, I I just thought that was, uh, I don't know, it, it... it was unexpected, but also like just kept pulling me in. And it's like, it makes it feel like not, it's not work when you're reading the book. Like most of these books feel like, Oh, I got to get through this, you know? But right with that at the beginning of the chapter, it just kind of like, uh, um, I, it's just fun. It's just fun to read your book. And so I was just curious, like what was the reasoning behind uh, writing it that way? Yeah, it's funny. I feel like this might be like the most popular question I get asked. (laughs) I bet. Because it catches so many people off guard given the nature of the book and like the topics it's covering. Um, Dude, it's just like you're, you know, I just wrote this book and I wasn't really, you know, planning on writing a book when I got into all this. It was as I kind of got deep into my own personal research that helped me like form a thesis around the industry and where I think it's going. Um, You know, going through that process, I was just like, oh, like you know, there, there could probably be a book that could be written about this. And I kind of just came to it by, you know, necessity. I was like, it would actually make a lot of sense to produce something like that for people. And like, you know, I'm not like, I didn't want to be like, you know, I'll, I'll read all these economics books or finance books and, you know, they're all very serious. And like, obviously there's a lot of serious nature to my book, but I wanted to be a lot more casual with how I wrote it. And, um, and just, you know, say like, look, I'm a, I'm a dude. I did this research. I put this together. I'm not trying to like be any sort of, um, you know, sophisticated author, like, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I just wanted to put some of my own like personality into it. So like, you know, I was like, okay, well, all these books always start off with quotes at the beginning of a chapter. And I was like, what quotes do I want to do? And I was like, damn, like, you know, Mike Tyson and Kanye West quotes is probably what I want to do. And, um, and that was pretty much it. And, you know, one of the other inspirations of it too was, um, there was, uh, you know, I took this uh, financial test after I first graduated college. It's like this three-year-long examination process um, called the CFA. And I remember, there's, you know, when you're studying for it, there's like the CFA textbooks that you read. And I ended up like randomly finding this one dude who had a blog online that was like, you know, just various notes on, you know, how he studied for it and uh, explaining different concepts. And what I loved about this dude's blog is like, there's all this stuff in the CFA that you read that's like complete bullshit and like, you know, stuff that like you have to learn that you probably would never actually need to learn. And, uh, and a lot of like, when you, when you like get deep into the material, there's just like a lot of things that contradict each other. And this guy was like very casual with how he would write out his, uh, you know, summary explanations for each chapter. And he was just like kind of talking a bunch of shit about the curriculum and like memeing different things about how it contradicts itself. And I was always (laughs) like, if I ever write something, this is like how I'd want it to be, you know, something that's a lot more, you know, like, you know, there's like humanity to it. Um, sure. And, uh, and yeah. I don't know. It was pretty much it. There wasn't a ton of thought put into it in terms of like why I chose Mike or Kanye. Um, 
Mike, I think, well, number one, I think his quotes are just like hilarious. There's um, so but many he also, that are just absolute gems. Like I just wanted to he, say on uh, chapter two, it it's like the history of decentralized money. And then the Mike Tyson quote hits you. Sometimes I put on a ski mask and dress in old clothes, go out on the streets and beg for quarters. Mike Tyson. <laughs> yeah. And like I remember the first time I heard that quote, um, and I was just like, you're a fucking psychopath, man. And uh, Yeah, no and doubt. I, and, and I loved it. That's what I loved about Mike. Like, here's a guy who was... Uh, you know, at the, he was like the number one athlete in the world. Like, everybody talked about, you know, incredibly famous. He rose from, you know, out of the ghetto to being on top of the world in such a short period of time. And he never, like, lost his, you know, he was always real. And, you know, he, he wasn't perfect and he did a ton of crazy shit. Right. But it's not really about that. It's just about the fact that he was always real with people. And, like, to this day, he still is. And he would just, like, always tell it how it was. Yeah. So I love the, you know, I loved a lot of things he would say. And what's interesting, too, is a lot of the things he says are, like, actually really powerful. Like, probably my favorite one um, was the one I started Chapter 3 with when he says, like, um, you know, when Jesus comes back one day all these crazy greedy capitalistic men are going to kill him again and you know like <laughs> yeah. i'm not like religious or anything but like the the nature of what he's like getting across is like every you know every time some sort of like good revitalization of the world comes around you know it gets destroyed by these inherent you know structural systems that we have or at least that's a meaning i kind of took out of the quote but like it requires really deep insight in some of the things he says and regardless of like you know, how funny they are, like whatever he says, I actually think that there's a lot of meaning to it as well. So like Mike was a lot more thoughtful. Uh, Kanye West is just absolutely hilarious. And I was just like, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta throw some of that shit in there too. I, it's, it's just funny because it morphs as you're reading the book, you know, like I don't think chapter one, like the very intro intro doesn't have that. And so then I think it's chapter two. Yeah. It's chapter two where that first Tyson quote comes in. And so it really took me by surprise. And then once they keep coming in, you're like, oh, yeah, you start, you know, you start expecting them. You're ready for them. And then yeah. when you make this flip, you make this switch over to Kanye. <laughs> uh, then it really just is that extra kind of gym. And I want to say, too, I really enjoy the um, once you start explaining a Bitcoin transaction, you have Mike Tyson sending a Bitcoin transaction to Kanye. <laughs> just the the visuals, not only that one, but just throughout the book, I think are another reason why this probably uh, reverberates with people outside of, you know, maybe the financial audience that you had had in mind originally. Um, I just found that um, with your explanations, like a lot of these... Uh, when I try to read nonfiction and I'm like reading it to learn something, I find myself having to like go back and reread uh, certain parts to kind of let it sink in harder. But you do that work for us throughout the book with recaps and with kind of reiterating certain key concepts throughout. Uh, yeah, I appreciate you pointing that out, man. That is a, that was a very intentional thing that I wanted to do with the book. There's, you know, I read, I, I pretty much only, I don't know. I mean, maybe in high school I read like fiction, but I only read nonfiction. And, um, and yeah, you know, I'll read a lot of books and they're good books, but I'm, uh, you know, there's always this, you know, voice in the back of my head when I'm reading, I'm like, oh, like, why didn't you just like lay it out this way? Or why didn't you do this? And I think it's like, you can make the reader's experience so much better by just 
rehashing certain points that are like the key topics, highlighting them and, you know, synthesizing them down. And because like when you're a reader, once you've heard something three times, it sticks in your memory so yep. much longer. And so like with anything that was very key, that was like a key rule that I was trying to abide by is like explain it in depth and then rehash it. And then later in like a final statement that I kind of conclude and combine it with a few other topics. And it's like at that point, you've kind of heard that key point three times over and it's probably going to stick in your memory a bit better. Uh, yeah, I really love that. I appreciated it because um, it, it kind of harkened back to, I was a tour guide for a couple years at a local coffee roaster and the tour would start with this instructional or you know this five minute introductory video that tells you all about the coffee making process and then we actually tour the coffee plant and that was sort of our same uh, mo would be to reintroduce or like restate facts that were in the video uh at least once on the floor again to kind of let it just do that exact same thing like give added meaning to it and let it sink in more so uh i think it's a great decision to help people learn which is kind of a tough spot that we're at uh it, in these early stage these early adopter stages of bitcoin the phenomenon that it is like we are at the point i think where mainstream most people are aware of bitcoin that it exists but we're still very early in terms of people either having used it or knowing how it works. And there's even this weird Venn diagram of there's a lot of people who have used it and don't know how it works. And then there's a lot of people who don't know either thing. And then I think there's even some people who like kind of understand how it works basically, but have never used it. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. Um, yeah, when I'm talking to just normies all the time, it's uh, I there you know there's very few people that have all three of those pieces, and um, and that's fine. And like honestly, we we want to get to a world where it's widely adopted, and still you know most people won't have all three of those pieces. Well, not sure. necessarily we want. Of course, we'd want everybody to know everything, but um, you know the the way that I view adoption going is you know eventually Bitcoin's going to get to this point where, and this is what you know all the people in the industry are working on. But it's going to get to a point where it's just uh, so easy in arm's length for people to be able to utilize it day to day and um, and not really even know why, but just know that, oh, it's simpler, it's easier, and my life's better because of it, and I like that. Sure. And I don't really understand money that well, but I trust this a lot more than you know some of these other things. Well, uh, it's funny because we kind of went ourselves uh, on the show through this journey of when podcasting 2.0 first came out and... Uh, we heard about it we got in right away we were like this is definitely going to be something that's permanent it's going to be the new like way people do stuff value for value is just this lightning stuff so you know i i had bitcoin for years but i never really cared about it it never like mattered to me until then and then we went through this weird evangelical phase right where we wanted to like tell other people this great thing and it was difficult for a long time and we sort of we didn't we didn't necessarily abandon orange pilling people but we definitely stopped doing the street corner preacher thing uh because we found it just so ineffective and it kind of a lot of the explanations and like a lot of the questions or pushback you know you get that fud that uh, uh almost unaddressable fud sometimes that people just have cemented uh in their heads that keeps them from even trying something out. 
And so what we kind of turned it into was, one, a philosophy that's just based around get in the car and drive, basically meaning that's how we learn. That's how we learn something so complicated as a car, where I can't really rebuild an engine. I don't know how to like diagnose major problems in a car, but I can get in any car and drive it to the gas station and fill it up with gas and then drive somewhere else. Like any car, no problem. And there's nothing like in the manual that you can read that can tell you how to do that. There's nothing, uh, you can, you can go to a mechanic and pop the hood and ask them to explain everything in there. But like, there's no prep you can do that's going to actually teach you the driving part except for just getting in there and driving. And right. we found that like a lot of a lot of no-coiners or pre-coiners really and some of that turned out to be confirmed pre-coiners. Uh we were getting a lot of pushback of like, well, I would like to understand this better before I actually send payments, before I get a wallet or before this this this, before these steps. And we kind of came to the conclusion that yeah, without these steps, you're never going to really get it in that sort of way, in that uh instinctive way right right exactly yeah the the applied experience is like really really important and you know i think another thing too in the way that i see a lot of it building out as well is like you know people you know people trust people that they look up to or leaders in their groups or um you know people that uh have broader influence over something that they're interested in and i think that like that's one thing that bitcoin's done really well within its community of spreading the message to people who, you know, neither care or, um, you know, just don't have the time to really get as deep as like we are into it. Um, you know, I think like, like a good example was like, you know, when I was in college, I was in a fraternity and like when we were like recruiting a pledge class, um, we weren't trying to necessarily like market it to everybody. What we were, when we were like, okay, we want these different guys to join our fraternity. We would, market our efforts towards the leaders of their groups because we know that if we get like one of the leaders of their groups then Mm. we're going to get the rest of the group and i think like bitcoin does that really well um they find people in different areas who are very influential and those people get really deep and then the communities that follow them um or trust them in certain ways you know they all come along uh, as well and that eventually leads them into you know that more applied understanding kind of a separate point but something i think it's important no, that's a great way of looking at it. I haven't, uh, I hadn't really thought about it like that. But uh, the more strategic orange pilling, maybe, or the more strategic uh, seeking out of, um, you know, I can't sit there and explain to everybody why and and address everyone's concerns on a base level. But like you're saying, if you see the leader of the social order, kind of like an influential in the sphere, if you bring him aboard, then other people are just gonna come as a as a result of the momentum of him coming over right right that's brilliant which is also it's also kind of like a difference between um there's you know it, like bitcoin the people who started all this movement the cypherpunks and everything is also like a totally different culture right it's it's people who don't trust anybody and like that's awesome and that's what i love about bitcoin too is like we have this whole community of people who don't trust people very well and sure. um and you know they are just a bunch of cats that need to be herded and uh, and Bitcoin was actually formed around people with that kind of a mentality, which I think is just a huge testament to its value. Um, the fact that you could have a community with that type of mentality that ultimately forms around a common interest in it is something that's, you know, incredibly unlikely. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it, because when we made our pivot, 
we were at this place where we were trying to like address concerns and we were trying to like back ourselves up on why the FUD was wrong or why the concerns were legitimate. And then it just like kind of occurred to me like, wait, 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 we're not in the business of convincing anybody, anything. And no one convinced us either. Like I didn't, I didn't come on board because Adam Curry and Dave Jones said, Hey, Bitcoin is the future. It's going to save your life. I came on board because they put podcasting 2.0 out and I like looked into it and then found that to be the truth. When I looked into it, you know, I found that, right. you know, this is the future. That's what like my conclusion was like, this is the future. Let's get in here right now. Like right at the beginning, as fast as we can. And, um, I just think like when we made that pivot, we decided, you know what, rather than, rather than explaining why, uh, because people were suspicious, you know, what if it gets hacked? What if the government turns it off tomorrow? You know, the typical pushback. We were like, you know what, let's just move forward. And we just don't need to feel like we have to win that fight or fight that battle at all. Like, because any answer that we're going to give is not going to be satisfactory. Any When I was uh, skeptical, I wasn't going to believe anything either. So we're just going to be like, you know what? We just don't believe that's the thing that's going to happen, but we're moving on. And then we turned into this uh, weekly segment we still do on Tuesday nights. We call it uh, On-Chain, Off-Chain, Cocaine, Shit Stain, which is just a total <laughs> non-sequitur of uh, a play on kind of the word vomit you have to shoot out your mouth in order to just talk about this stuff regularly, right? We found ourselves doing like node updates and talking about channels and talking about lightning payments being off chain and uh you know the original bitcoin or opening channels being on chain and all the different technical aspects of it to which most of our listeners you know like we're a very weed centric podcast so most of our listeners are just like stoners who don't really bitcoin and now it's kind of i think probably around half and half ish uh but we were just like, you know what? We have to lean into this. We have to keep talking about it. The answer isn't to just stop talking about it. Uh, but we can still kind of lean into the fact and have fun with the fact that, yeah, this kind of sounds like a bunch of jargon and, and meaningless stuff until you're in the car driving around. And so um, I think it kind of harkens back to that repeating the key phrases and the key words time after time. Like We were just like, you know what? Let's just lean into it. We'll do this every week until until it's something people look forward to and now it's like a just a regular staple of the show right right yeah that's pretty interesting um i do want to ask you a couple of things about the value tag that we have set up today um because when i originally asked you um and usually what i did with guest splits in the past is uh add a lightning node and just a pub key as a value split. And I was just curious if you uh, operate a node or still operate a node, or you had said, I think it, I think you said it was offline at the time. Yeah, so, and it's like on my laundry list, but I have an umbrella, Raspberry Pi. And gotcha. And it was like, I, I remember when you asked me this, I'd just been like traveling a ton the past month. But when you asked me this, I, uh, I wasn't able to connect to my node, and I went out, it's in my like garage, and I should probably get it out of the garage. But um yeah, it's like a little fan or whatever broke, and I think oh. it's having some sort of issue. So I think I got a hardware issue with it, and I gotta, I gotta go pull it apart and see if I can piece Just it back together right. Probably get it cooled down, or something. Yeah, I think it's something like that. Yeah. Um, Lorian runs a yeah. an umbral. I'm rocking the umbral. So far, so yeah, the umbral's good. nice. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm not super technical on a lot of that stuff um, Same. in terms of like, you know, setting up an implementation, but I do plan, I w- want to set up um, an LND implementation and get like a BTC pay service set up, hopefully before the end of the year that I can do like merch off of. Cool. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, put together, before our block party, I'm trying to put together kind of a uh, getting set up with BTC pay server onboarding talk so that we can pass it to all the merchants that are uh, interested in doing that. So uh, when I get that kind of set in stone, I'll send it to you and hopefully it'd be a yeah, totally, man. Definitely. helpful, helpful resource. Um, but what you uh, ended up doing was what I've been telling guests now. So uh, recently this Albi extension came on, uh, I don't know, maybe two, three months, something like that. It's, it's relatively new on the scene. Um, but it's just this Google Chrome extension in the browser, and then you can actually get a partitioned part of their node that is uh, associated with your Albi wallet. And it includes, like in their user interface, what's cool is they make it super easy to just see what your value tag should look like. Like they give you a sample one in the browser. And so you can be a guest on any podcast, or you can you know, value enable your own podcast if you have control over what the RSS feed says. And um, so that's what we've been using for any guest who like, if they've never had Bitcoin or if they don't have a node or any of these things, like we just send them over there because it seems to be like the least friction of all the, of all the ways to go from zero to enabled. Um, And was that kind of your experience? Just pretty easy to. Oh yeah, definitely. Very simple. Cool. Yeah, that's the that that's kind of our vow going forward is like no guests have an excuse anymore. Like they're going to get their share of the boosts and you know, even if they're a no coiner, they'll be like 10 years from now like, "Oh, wasn't I on that podcast way back then? They gave me like Bitcoin or something." <laughs> It'll be like up to them. It's like, "All right, well that's you." I think that's a nice middle ground too because there have been times where I've sent people Bitcoin that I've like regretted just in the past because it's like I I'll just be like, oh, here, here's some. And, you know, they'd never do anything with it. And you're like, oh, God, is it like one of those lost forever wallets now? It's just like, it's kind of a waste, you know? Right, totally. Um, And I feel like this way, instead of wasting my money, we can collectively waste the bowler's money. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody who boosts. um, No, it's it's just kind of like a more streamlined way of being like, all right, well, you don't know anything about anything. Uh here, grab this car, you can drive yourself home in it and uh, get started, familiarize yourself. And we always recommend, too, like multiple wallets. People use multiple wallets and stuff. Uh, That's a common normie or first-time question. Like an early coiner question is like, what wallet should I use? And I really hate giving a wallet. Like I don't, myself, I use like 12, 15 different kind of wallets, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean it's 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 kind of partition between like reliability and ease of use, and um, you know, then ultimately like completely self sovereign and private, and uh, and having some that serve different functions. Like you know, when I went to go speak at the KC Bitcoin meetup, what I'll use is my Moon Wallet often, just because it's a lot more reliable with the dependency, and then I can kind of like offload those Sats onto something that I'll store it long term later. Totally. Yeah, that makes that makes pretty good sense to me. I really love with the with the having a home node if you if you've got it up and online and connected the Zeus wallet is 
just super seamless to be able to get you from behind tour to um you know any other invoice while you're not on your home network because that's kind of the the catch for most of these apps is if you're running your node then you've got to be logged in from home or you have to remote in somehow but uh zeus makes it really easy that's what i bought uh your book with was just the zeus wallet so you spun up an invoice i guess on moon and um i paid it on zeus over tour like boom boom it was so quick and awesome right so getting back to the seventh property your book i kind of wanted to talk a little bit about what kind of conclusion you came to and what drew you to like put this in paper like put this down and put it out there that bitcoin presents this seventh property of money that uh, hasn't existed before yeah um so yeah i guess on the seventh property point you know, it was something that actually kind of like emerged in the writing. It was something that I had in my mind, uh, but I didn't quite have it defined until I got deeper into writing things out. Um, but I was basically making the point, and when I was a bit more scattered about it, I was like, okay, well, you know, we had this trend over time where, you know, in an antiquity money was like very decentralized in a lot of the functions um, that, uh, you know, today we see intermediaries support. So like in more primitive societies, people were storing money on themselves or, you know, in a special hiding place, but they're doing it all themselves. And, uh, you know, they were uh, producing money themselves. When you think of like, you know, cattle or salt or seashells or all these other various forms of primitive money, um, you know, it was, it was private phenomenon. It wasn't something that was monopolized by governments. People would just, you know, have to go expend the effort to find that source and use it as money. And, um, and they're also verifying it amongst themselves. And a lot of that's because everybody was very familiar with how money worked because they were creating it and storing it themselves. So it, it had a lot of like, you know, it was kind of like decentralized across those functions. And then, um, you know, over time, as money evolved into more efficient mechanisms, you know, when we moved into the precious metals, well, it was like, okay, well, producing pre- precious metals, it's like not everybody can go mine and smith uh, gold into bars. And uh, so we had people that started to specialize in the production of it. And then once that happened, eventually we saw governments monopolize that function. And, um, and it, it was a similar trend across all the other functions where, you know, as people were producing it or lost familiarity with how money was produced and, uh, and then eventually, you know, storage became centralized and we had banking systems emerge and, um, you know, governments began to start to monopolize a lot of that as well at certain points in history. And, um, all these functions became uh, a lot more centralized and eventually like, you know, verification of money became a little bit harder because everybody just wasn't really familiar with it as much anymore. So like that was one of the key distinctions about Bitcoin is that, you know, its innovation allowed us to maintain all the efficiency of, you know, why we made these steps in specializing across these functions across money as well as like banking systems. And, um, you know, we, we evolved into paper money because it was a lot more efficient to conduct trade. People didn't just want to lug gold around everywhere. You can just like transport gold very easily. But with a telegraph, you know, you could transport or transmit paper very quickly and update books. Um, so like there are all these things that, um, you know, ultimately made those uh, those functions a lot more efficient. And with Bitcoin, it made it just as efficient. In fact, with, you know, an enabling ecosystem that's building out around it, it'll probably be much more efficient 
as you know, you guys are very familiar with, with podcasting 2.0. Sure. And it's still decentralized across those functions. And like, that's the key piece. So I was like, well, you know, when we're trying to define what that is, um, what's the ultimate outcome of maintaining that decentralization? It's that like, you know, the rules of the system are immutable. And that's one of the big issues that emerged throughout history as we centralize these functions um, in the name of efficiency, we lost that immutability because, you know, money could change very quickly. The rules of the system would change very quickly and uh, to serve whatever interests of the individuals who are in control of those functions. So Bitcoin not only made it more efficient, but it also was able to maintain those forms of decentralization and those types of properties. So like when I was putting that together and defining it in a framework of monetary properties, and I was like, okay, there's like, you know, six somewhat commonly accepted monetary properties. And like, there's, there's a little bit of ambiguity there. Like, you know, some people use different words for different things sometimes. And there's, it's not like, it's not necessarily a complete science, but like generally speaking, that's kind of how it's defined. Money's defined with like these six properties. And, uh, and I was like, we should be thinking about it from a commonly accepted framework of also including a seventh property of immutability. Now that we have that innovation, it wouldn't make any sense for us to, you know, take a step backwards and start thinking about money without it. Um, and, and that's kind of, you know, how the thought process worked as I was going through the research and the writing. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. And, um, to explain, you know, what evolutionary hop Bitcoin really does present. Because when you first get into it, it's obvious and it's clear that that's what's going on. There is definitely some sort of a next level feeling uh, using this as money, using sending and receiving Bitcoin, whether it's on chain or whether it's a lightning payment. Um, it does feel that way, but to kind of have a finger right on why it feels that way uh, really felt nice it felt like um uh, it felt like after reading your book i have like a better confidence in in talking about it to people who maybe are lacking an, an understanding of it um and the same is true for by the way the history of fractional reserve banking it's kind of like a term that you hear before especially with like the Ron Paul, audit the Fed type uh, libertarian movements uh, over the past, you know, 10, 20 years. Um, I always hear, you know, Fed bad and I kind of hear like the blanket bottom line statements of why, you know, like, well, they control everything. They print money endlessly. But to really have it broken down, not only in the actual black and white of what they're doing and what the numbers are and how it's all debt based, but also just the history in our country in particular, leading up to it, like, um, you know, what happened in 1971, uh, what happened when the uh, Federal Reserve Bank got kicked uh, back off in its current form at the beginning of the uh, 1900s, all of that kind of stuff. It was just nice to see it all, like, laid out in one spot and uh, more digestible. You know, I, I usually just get pieces scattered here and there rather right. than that, that overarching story. Right. And, that, and, you know, I'm glad you say that just because that was also one of the main goals of the book is, you know, there's there's more like in-depth reads where you can get into some of the stuff or there's like academic papers. And um, and those will explain technically a bit more what's going on. And even that's a bit challenging. But like very few people outside of people who are kind of deep into these areas are going to read that stuff. And then pretty much the resources, if you aren't in those, you know, communities or are actively searching for that kind of information 
the resources are like Investopedia level definitions where you get like these very high level explanations that don't really tell you what's going on because there's quite a bit you need to understand to really get your head around it. Mm-hmm. And um, that was one of my goals for the book was to lay a lot of that out. And, you know, cause like when I was coming into this, like the Bitcoin standard, for example, was like probably one of the, if not the biggest book that like people coming out of like the econ finance world were reading is like a primer on getting into Bitcoin. And you know, he doesn't really talk about banking at all in that book. And I, I remember thinking, like, there needs to be, like, if you really want to understand the value of Bitcoin, like, that's a massive piece of it. Like, you need to understand how um, our current financial system functions at, like, a pretty high level. So I wanted to thread the needle on that and try to find the right balance of making it technical enough to where you do get an understanding of what's going on. And and that was a really big challenge. Like, I wanted to also lay it out very simply. And there's like a lot of trade-offs to that. Sure. Like to be 100% correct in everything that you say requires you to speak at it at a very, very technical level that like pretty much nobody's going to read. So like when I go through some of my explanations and I try to like caveat the statements, I'm like, it's not always true that this is how something works in the system. But like generally speaking, this is kind of what it looks like. Sure. And, uh, and here's like analogies for it. Um, which, uh, yeah. So, like, I, I wanted to find, like, the proper balance with that without getting too technical and really just put it all in one place and, you know, paint that picture for everybody that really shows you, like, here are the primary problems. And, like, that was one of my goals when I wrote it was, like, I'm not going to oversimplify it to the point where people are, like, misunderstanding the problems. Um, but keep it simplified enough to where, you know, I'm sure that – and I haven't really gotten much of this. Actually, I haven't really gotten anything at all yet. But, you know, as the book continues to spread and – I'm assuming at some point I'll get like a decent amount of guys who are kind of like gotcha guys who are like, you know, studying uh, the banking actually, system. Actually, this part yeah, is actually, not correct. Right. <laughs> and they'll kind of, they're, they're, which like I'm aware of what those areas would be sure. in the writing, but I'm like, I'm trying to explain this to like, you know, a broader audience here. So it's, um, yeah, it's a little tricky talking about banking just because banking is such, such a complicated system. Um, and it's, it's like absurd how complicated it is for kind of not really legitimate reasons. But, but yeah, um, that, that, that was a goal is just to put that all in one place and have a resource for people to be like, you know, here is a well-defined holistic view of what the problems are that Bitcoin's really solving. And I guess I can't quite say holistic. Um, there's like a lot of other innovations um, that are coming out of Bitcoin. I mean, I don't know if you wanted to be holistic about it. You'd need a whole body of literature, which sure. is, you know, what we're witnessing emerge right now. Yeah. It's just a little bit early to have arrived, I guess, at that point quite yet, but we're definitely on our way here. And, yep. uh, yep. in no small part, thanks to yourself and your book here. Um, I had a couple other, uh, few more questions jotted down, but first I want to thank some people who have sent us boosts in, uh, while we've been going, uh, including Harvhat starting us off with 10101. He sent this out of, Boost CLI. So there's a bunch of different apps that you can get to uh, interact with us and send in these boostograms. Uh, the way you go about this is you take off all your clothes and you go to nudepodcastapps.com. Uh, or if you want to leave all your clothes on, you can go to newpodcastapps.com. They'll both get you to where all the apps live. And there's a bunch of different options you can choose from, whether you want to Go for something that's web-based or something that's Windows, Mac OS, Linux. Um, all these different uh, apps, they work in different places. Some work in multiple places. Some are exclusive. Uh, but look down the list, and anything that's um, uh, that has the value tag on it, 
will allow you to send these micropayments of Satoshis uh, like Harv Hat did, and he usually slaps us a boost uh, right when the show gets going. Boost CLI, by the way, is a boosting app that you can use directly from your own node. So it's just like a command line uh, setup where you can boost shows right from your own Lightning node. Then we had uh, 3333 from Steed out of Fountain. She's using the Fountain app. And she says, thank you, bowlers. You're quite welcome, Bully Yeah, Steed. thank you, Bully. Uh, 1010 from C-Dubs. He was boosting via Podcast Index. And he just says, let's go. So that's another interesting new development is that uh, if you go to podcastindex.org and you have your Albi wallet enabled, uh, it'll prompt you to sign in with that. And then as you're listening to shows from that website, you can actually send these Boostagram messages as well. Uh, 3333 coming in from NBS out of the fountain app again and he says uh, ripping bowls with the trolls we see you there in the troll room cheers NBS uh, Booberry's coming in from Podverse with a 6969 69 he said there's a shortage of sats at the Ren Fair gonna need a big sign that says boost me busty winch <laughs> <laughs> yeah we got a sign We'll make a sign up for you. It'll be beautiful. Uh, seven 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 seven. That's a jackpot boost from C Brooklyn one twelve at a Curio Caster, and he says I was a pre coiner and Sir Spencer was my first. You never forget your first. Oh well, thank you. <gasps> Appreciate that. Uh, Eleven one. Oh no, this is wait one two three four five. I had to count the ones. This is six ones. Hundred eleven thousand one hundred eleven sats. Wowie Zowie from Mary Kate Ultra. Here's a big strike for you. Thank you, Mary Kate Ultra, who says, Happy belated 11 years, you cool cats. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And uh, 21112 from Booberry again out of Podverse, who says, Seventh property feels like it's screaming to be a boostable audiobook. Ooh, interesting idea there. Interesting concept. Have you. Given any thought, Eric, to sort of a value enabling or um, uh, some sort of thing like that, your book? Oh, that's interesting. So, you know, I have like a audible version that Guy Swan did, um, but no, I hadn't. I and honestly, I'm not very familiar with podcasting 2.0. At least, you know, I understand like the topic and uh, you know the general idea of it, but no, I hadn't really thought about how that would work. So we're kind of in this wild uh, stage of podcasting 2.0 where uh, we're looking to expand to new mediums. And um, it's sort of this struggle that's been going on for a while. And also we're still new, which kind of there's so many places in the Bitcoin world that feel the same way. You know, like I've been working on this forever. It's still too early. (laughs) And one of those is music, Uh, music on the Lightning Network and music delivered value for value decentralized, um, which I've been calling DMU, whether it sticks or not, who knows. Um, but the basic idea is just like we publish MP3s of our podcast episodes onto an RSS feed, and then people can consume those in apps and boost them. Uh, we can do the same with music. And um, my uh, eventual bandmate, Abel Kirby, who is also a... Uh, a fan of No Agenda, and we kind of met through the show. Uh, he contacted me and said, hey, let's do this album on the Lightning Network. We'll just do an album that's just like a podcast and put it out there. So we did that last Christmas Eve. Uh, our 
band was called Abel and the Wolf and the, the album Stay a While. So abelandthewolf.com is where that's at. And now we're kind of at the point where um, we have to have this music forward app in order to really properly consume that. Because right now you can play Stay a While in any of the podcasting apps, but they kind of give you a podcast experience so that doesn't really translate as well to listening to music. Yeah, because each of the songs comes up like an episode. Right. So they don't just play seamlessly together. So that's kind of the uh, the spot that Podcasting 2.0 is in. And the the idea is, you know, documentaries, TV shows, uh, even if you do like animated shorts of video, uh, audio books, ebooks, like any kind of digital content would be translatable really in some level to this value for value platform. And that's kind of the, the next step in the evolution, I think of this thing. Gotcha. Yeah. It's really interesting. It's been a lot of fun. The journey is, uh, an exciting one, you know, like, uh, the the whole project in and of itself is what really pulled me back into Bitcoin and caring about it again, and actually for the first time ever really mattering to me. Um, so I guess just to back up for my own entry into Bitcoin, and then I'm interested in hearing uh, yours, but the first time I got Bitcoin was like in 20, I want to say 14 or 15. It was... You can look at the charts to find out when, but it kind of it dipped back under its like twelve hundred peak, and I saw it go hit four twenty and fall below four twenty, and I was like, oh, haha, ha, I want I want some now, you know, and mm. so I bought like a little bit uh, back then, and I just used it mainly for uh, degenerate gambling, you know, online poker, um, buying weird things that you're not supposed to be able to buy. Uh, just over the years, just spent a little bit of it and largely forgot about it, you know. Um, sometimes it would go up and I would buy something or I would, you know, gamble on an election or something. But for the most part, by and large, thank God, I forgot about most of that uh, until Podcasting 2.0 came along and um, Adam and Dave are talking about, you know, running nodes and a lightning node and all of this different stuff. And I just, like, re-entered the space being more thoughtful and less just stupid and frivolous about it and less just like this is magic internet money and more like, okay, let's pretend like this is actually something that's real money. Uh, what decisions would I make based on that? And it just co- totally revolutionized the way I use Bitcoin, but also my understanding of it. And when I first got a node, it was like, um, I got a node from Voltage, which uh, you can have your own... Uh, self-custodied node on their infrastructure so you're not uh, building it like on your own pie. I did that at first because it was just the fastest way to get up and going. And ever since, I've just been like learning, 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 and, um, you know, finding out more every day about how much I don't know. Um, but I'm glad, I'm grateful I did almost two years ago start that because it kind of led to um, all of this stuff. It led to going to Bitcoin meetups. It led to kind of a a new direction for the show, an extra kind of angle to, to add to the show. Um, and it seems like the more people I talk to, the more that's the case where people kind of discover it the first time around, they don't quite get it all the way. Uh, I was interested in like how you came to discovering Bitcoin. Yeah. So, you know, I technically, the first time I bought Bitcoin, I think it was, it was somewhere around like a hundred dollars. Um, 
and uh, that was to get fake IDs from some sketchy Chinese website Very back nice. in college. So, I mean, and, and I ran the group for everybody. So I think I technically, I mean, back then I must have been in holding like, I think it was like 12 or 15 Bitcoins or something that we made the payment and for that. And, Wild. Uh, yeah. But anyways, so worth it. Got some fake IDs that I lost in um, Cabo, or not Cabo, um, Panama City Beach on spring break. So oh, that was worth it. Sounds worth it. <laughs> sounds yeah. epic. Um, but yeah, so like that was the first time I bought, but I, I didn't know anything about Bitcoin. The first time I ever like really thought about Bitcoin was my senior year. Um, and that was what, 20, 2015. And I wrote some you know, paper on it in college, you know, it's just basically like, it's a speculative investment. It doesn't have any fundamental value. And it was from like, it was for an economics class. Um, and just think about what it was. And I had no concept of like it, you know, being an alternative form of money or anything like that. I just, you know, back then everybody talked about it as some sort of like new technology or whatever. And I just didn't really know what it was, but I wrote it off. And, and like the reason you write it off is because, you know, from like the financial mind framework, um, it's something that's very quick to write off when you don't understand what the actual purpose of it is or what's fundamentally going on. So I wrote it off back then and I was always very skeptical of it. And then over the years I was kind of like, uh, you know, I don't know if it's like worthless. I don't understand what blockchain technology really is. Um, but you know, it could be some sort of new tech that works out. I don't really know. I'm not an expert on it. And, um, and my, the biggest thing that held me back is, you know, with every other investment in finance, you have like certain models that give you a fundamental way of assessing how much it should be worth. Like, for example, if you were to look to buy the stock of a company, um, stock of a company is based on what its future cash flow is going to be. Now, for some companies, that's really hard to do um, and expect, like where companies are really uncertain. But if you look at like an old company that's been around for a while, you can get a pretty good idea of um, how much money that they're going to make over the next, say, five years. And then you can, uh, based on that, you can kind of extrapolate how much that company is worth for a particular investment. And um, and that was the framework that I had in mind. That's a framework that, you know, pretty much anybody in the financial community has in mind. Sure. It's, it, it, there isn't anything for Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin doesn't produce cash flows. So, like, you can never really, like, apply that type of thinking to it. And um, And for that reason... I was always kind of like, oh, well, you know, it could be some new groundbreaking tech, but like, I don't know how to value this thing. So like, I can't invest in something where I don't even know what it's worth. And um, I was lucky. I had a colleague I worked with who's kind of like, you know, nerdier tech guy who would always, you know, talk about how cool the tech was. And he kind of just like kept pushing me to like read more about it. And then I don't even remember what it was, but at one point I was just like perusing the internet and reading about Bitcoin. I think it might have even been like a Reddit post or something, but um, it was just people talking about how Bitcoin's an alternative to central banking. And then that's when, you know, things really clicked for me and I started to get interested because I was very, I was always very critical of central banking and I thought that the system we're in was totally like fraudulent and it was totally ass backwards and it creates all these perverse incentives and that's something that's going to be really bad for the world, has been really bad for the world and uh, is going to cause more and more problems over time. And like once I read that, I was just like, oh, so they're thinking about this being like an, a new form of money. And that was kind of like uh, towards the end of 2016, I think. And um, and that got me a lot more interested. And I started reading more about it. And then, you know, I spent a lot of time just reading and everything. Because, like, the second I got interested in it, I was like, okay, well, like, how does this thing work? How could it work as money? Um, and I thought I knew money 
decently well back then and I realized how little I knew at a certain point and that got me a lot more interested in reading into that and um and then you know the problem is is like when people first discover Bitcoin from like this framework that I'm talking about right now like how I came to it um in the financial community the same way that I was led into you know well what's Ethereum how does this work how do all these other altcoins work and, sure Oh, well, like Bitcoin's the first one. It's obviously not going to be the one that's, uh, you know, the technology that's used. And it takes like a really long time and a lot of research, particularly back then when there just wasn't anything out. You know, like the Bitcoin standard wasn't even out yet. Um, there was just uh, a lot of like online research that was out. And, um, and you know, there, there were sources, but it was like very hard to find. It wasn't nearly as prevalent. So like, you know, I just went down this whole rabbit hole of trying to like understand what, what are all these different consensus mechanisms and how do those work and, you know, what would make, oh, Ethereum does more stuff and blah, blah, blah. And it took me, you know, another year or so until I really started to get the thesis for why, no, it is going to be Bitcoin and all these other alternative applications have properties that, number one, can't really be replicated anymore. And I, I guess I say, I won't say can't, but, um, uh, the probability of being able to replicate something like Bitcoin is incredibly, incredibly low. And, um, and I seriously doubt whether or not that would ever happen. But um, it's uh, once I kind of got to that conclusion, that's when I was like, all right, I'm, I think I'm pretty much all in on Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, how I ended up here was more like, you know, my last job, I was working in private equity. So we were, you know, it was like a me is like a group of 10 and we're a group of guys who like our group was small, but we're investors and we would like buy out entire companies and turn them around. So it's kind of like, you know, somewhat like flipping real estate, but for like whole companies. Sure. And um, like uh, Romney so, used to do with like Bain Capital kind of a thing. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. So I was in the same industry as him. And like, you know, I, I, I was always like very career motivated and um and I worked really hard to be working in that industry, but I got to a certain point where I was like, oh, like I'm, I'm just not passionate enough about this. Like you can get very wealthy in this industry, but um, I, I, I didn't love what I was doing. Sure. There's like a lot of things in the financial world that I didn't love. And like the thing that I spent all my free time reading about was always like, you know, I, what I loved about markets was just, uh, you know, I was always attracted to, you know, I guess a better way of putting it was what I thought the biggest problem in the world was, was what was happening with our central banking systems. And, um, but before I discovered Bitcoin, I always was just like, well, it's how the world works. And eventually we're going to pay for it. And, um, and then once I discovered Bitcoin, it just kind of like gave me like a new hope for how things work. And I could see a vision for a very different future than I'd seen before. And, um, so I was kind of like, at one point, with all these things going through my head, I was kind of like, fuck it, I'm just going to jump into this industry. And um, so I decided, you know, I worked in that job, I worked pretty long hours, I didn't have time to really like, um, you know, kind of like slowly work towards getting into it. And I was kind of like, okay, well, you know, I made a good amount of money, I can kind of give myself a few years runway. And I decided to quit my job, sold my place, moved into mom's basement, and uh, decided to just dive into Bitcoin. And that's when I was like, okay, well, I want to get really deep into a lot of different areas. Um, and I was just reading about a lot of things for like nine months, understanding Bitcoin, getting more into like certain aspects of uh, our banking system, economics, um, the history behind a lot of that. And then it was through that process where, you know, I was kind of just saying, well, like, what's the first thing I'm going to do? I had this, uh, you know, going into it, I had this framework in mind, like, there's probably going to be like a media side to what I'm doing. It was something I always like, Sure. Um, and something that differentiated me from like most people in my area, like my, 
in my last job, it was like, you know, it's like a lot of like analytical people. So it's, uh, it's a lot of nerds. And, um, and I was always kind of like differentiating that I could do that, but I could also like, you know, be a normal person and, you know, just have explain things simply, have more casual conversations about it and, uh, you know, have like a sense of humor, all that kind of shit. So sure. it's like, that's something that I want to be part of the job. Um, as well as, you know, I did really enjoy just like the analytical side of what I was doing too. So I just, that was pretty much all I had in mind is like, I'm going to figure out something that is, you know, overlaps between these areas of basically like, you know, what I'm good at, what I, you know, love doing and, uh, what the world needs and, you know, apply that in some way to kind of like benefit this industry. And then, you know, when I was getting into the research around all this stuff and I was kind of like, oh, well, you know, like what's the first step? Um, and I was like, okay, well, I need to write some of the stuff out so that I understand it. And, um, and I started doing that. And then eventually I was kind of like, I'm writing so much. I could just kind of like turn this thing into a book. And then I decided to turn it into a book. And then it ended up really taking off. And I was kind of like, oh, shit, this is awesome. And that's led to a lot of other things. And, you know, where I'm at now is uh, I think with like my background um, on the venture capital side, I'll be able to help this industry and kind of like forward it in that area. So I'm working on getting that set up with some different people and, uh, and then, yeah, at some point in the future, I'll probably start some sort of like media thing. I don't really know if it'll be a podcast or what, but, um, some kind of around that too, but it's just, there's a lot of things I'm doing now related to like the book and, uh, you know, different like advisory roles and things like that. So like, I'm just kind of taking it one step at a time and trying to build out things that I think are valuable and needed in the industry that, you know, I'll enjoy doing. Sure. No, that's very cool to now have like a a passion, a reason to want to go to work, you know, regardless of uh, whether, you know, that's chasing the big bad dollar uh, versus the old one. Um, I, I'm curious, how long did you kind of contemplate or think about this? You just uh, eventually ended up jumping out of the plane and Bitcoin's my parachute kind <laughs> of a thing. Like, and you said you yeah. moved into mom's basement. Like, uh, wh- what was that like? Like, how's mom feeling about the all, all of that? Oh, well, like, yeah, man, it was, it was kind of crazy. Right. Um, because like, you know, I was like always very career driven and I had this like really good job. So like a lot of like my friends who worked in finance <clears throat> were like baffled and they thought I was like depressed or something. Sure. Um, and, re- and really like the only person, uh, it, it, it's kind of crazy taking on risk in life. Cause like, uh, you know, I, I, I've always been somebody where like, I don't really give a shit what other people think of me. Yeah. Um, like, it's not, like, totally true. Like, there's people I care about, and I care what they think of me. But, um, like, generally speaking, I don't really give a shit. Like, mainly but, the um, people who don't understand. Like, that doesn't affect you, right? Exactly. If they don't, if, yeah. if they think it's wild because they just don't understand what's going on, then it's easy to let that slide off your back. Exactly, yeah. Because, yeah, they just don't understand it. And, like, I also don't, like, you know, judge them for it either. It's, sure. You just don't understand, and people kind of are that way. It's not really a huge deal. I can relate. But, um... But yeah, it was definitely something I didn't really think about. I was kind of like, you know, because in my head, I'm like, you know, I have confidence in myself. I was like, yeah, I'll be able to pull this off. I just need, I just need some time, um, and and I'll put something together. But uh, yeah, you know, like people were just like, why, why would you quit the job that you had? And like, what are you doing? Um, and uh, yeah, so I didn't expect like how much of like a social thing it would be in my personal life. Yeah, which was kind of just like funny because like. Um, I, I would just like tell people random shit, like when they'd ask me what I'm doing and I would just kind of like, yeah, I think I'm going to like be a comedian or like, you know, things like that. And, uh, you know, I just started like kind of making a joke out of all of it. And then, um, my, uh, my mom was like the only person who actually believed in me. My mom was just kind of like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Mom, I love mom, man. She's really cool. And, uh, she was just like, yeah, like, 
you'll figure it out. I believe in you. And, uh, and yeah, and she did. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, it was in terms of the process of like how I went from it, it was more the first thing that sparked it was more that I realized I really didn't love what I was doing. And then, um, and it was funny too, because like I, I'd never, there was like one time, you know, this was like in 2017 during the last bull market, uh, or I guess two bull markets ago now. Um, I like thought about the idea of like, oh, I could go like work for a company in this industry. That'd be kind of cool. Um, and I wasn't like totally like a Bitcoiner back then. I was kind of like, oh, I could go work for like an exchange or something. Um, but then I was like, ah, I'd probably take a pay cut. And like, that's kind of a crazy thing. Like, who knows what's going to happen with this industry? I didn't really understand it well enough back then yet. And um, but that was the only time I ever like thought of it. And like ever since then, I just like hadn't thought of it. And we were like in a bear market too. So there wasn't really a reason that ever popped up for me to be like, oh, now is like a great time. Sure. Um, it was more just like, I, uh, you know, realized I didn't want to do my job. And then I was kind of like, okay, well, what do I want to do? And then it was more like a fundamental personal level. And I was like, well, what do I care about? You know, what do I think is really important? And then I was just like, it like hit me over the head one day. And I was like, dude, you spend so much time reading about like Bitcoin and like economics and you know how that all relates. And I was like, shit, I guess I could just like do that. And then like, once the thought entered my head, I couldn't get it out. And I was just like, yeah. And it like, after like a few weeks, it like made total sense to me. And, you know, it's hard because like where I'm at now, like it's, you know, like some people who all like me, it, it seems like it was something that made a lot of sense. Um, but back then it was like totally uncertain. You know, I didn't know that I'd be here. You know, I didn't know I'd be going on like podcasts or I didn't know I'd write a book, but like, it was just kind of like, yeah, you know, I could, I could kind of figure something out. And then, um, yeah. So, that, that, that was pretty much it. And then one day I just decided to make the call. I realized I had it in my head, couldn't get it out, knew I wasn't um, passionate about what I was currently doing. And then I was just like, all right, time to pull trigger. Damn. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Just pushing all your chips in, being ready to go. It's it's brilliant because I met your mom. She was at the uh, she she was at the meetup oh, where, right. where yeah, you yeah. spoke. And I had like a little recorder with me because i sometimes do like uh the uh boots on the ground report yeah exactly like bring it with and like just get a couple of snippets that i can play on the show but like i said man you were just uh the the post discussion that you sparked was just so in depth that i was like you know don't cut anybody off just to do this little snippet with me like i'm like "We'll, we'll get you on the show down the road eventually and you know, we'll have all the time we want to talk. But it was funny because as people were going up to you, like I, I bought your book right off, like immediately, right when you stepped down from uh, your speech, uh, your your discussion. And then I went over to the bar to kind of wait for the line to die down, which it never really did. And um, <laughs> your mom was sitting at the bar there and she was like, she was like, so tell me about yourself. What are you all about? Kind of thing, which was so cool. Like, um, I don't really... I don't know. I'll talk your face off if you ask me to, but I'm not really like the instigator most of the time of that kind of conversational yep. stuff. Uh, you can pull it out of me quite easily without any effort, but um, I don't. I don't really like to dump it on people's lap, if, especially if they don't if they're not ready or they don't want it. But I'm not quite sure if she was ready because I had to kind of <laughs> every time uh, people ask me about myself, I just kind of like come back to cannabis being the foundation, like weed being the building blocks of who I am and where I'm at, but not for reasons that, uh, 
you would just like think hearing that, you know, it's just so weird. It's very hard to explain. So I found myself trying to like explain what the hell I was doing there and why I got into Bitcoin and why it mattered to me and like what my show was about and all this stuff. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And kind of the, you know, the libertarian aspects and the moral aspect, the morality aspect of the drug war and the drug laws. And, but uh, she was like really open about it and kind of understanding at least, you know, she, she put on the face that she was. I don't know if she like got in the van later and was like, "Oh, there was the stoner kid at the bar. Wouldn't shut the fuck up about weed." <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. I mean, well, number one, we're we're from Denver, Colorado, right? Yeah, so, she uh, had mentioned that. You no, know, yeah, that, that, that's like the funniest thing too. Is I remember when it got legalized out here in college and like how different the world is now in Denver from what it used to be. And yeah, it, it's not just like you know stoners from around the country moving out here. It's like people whose like Christian parents I knew um, that like, you know, thought weed was like this horrible thing are now like popping edibles on the reg yeah. on weeknights and like, you know, stuff like that. Um, but no, like, no, she's, she totally gets it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's funny though. Cause I'll like always like, you know, she just, you know, my family's from a completely different world. So like I'll, uh, I'll try to like explain oh, like whenever I'm ta- telling her like things that I'm doing or like what's going on in the industry, it's always like, so like, here's what people in Bitcoin do. And like what, you know, it's like, I have to give like so much background so that she can even like understand the culture and, uh, and you know, like where people are coming from, which is, you, you know, just always kind of funny, but yeah, she's like really open-minded to it. And, uh, and it's really funny. It's wild how on a surface level, it just seems dumb. But then if you've been in like, the front lines of the drug war for you know your whole entire adult life as you look back like there's there's an analogy and a connection to be drawn to so many other things like my understanding of economics my understanding of politics my understanding of uh, just drug uh, drug laws and drug um, drug enforcement in general policing there's so many things that tie into that sort of understanding that you know, has shaped the worldview that I've come up with, but also my motivations for trying to make the world a better place. Like they all come from that place, you know? And, um, right, right. I don't know. It's just wild. Cause it's, I've, I found myself challenged to try and like describe this without seeming like a complete total lunatic, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know how, how well I did, but, uh, bottom line, yeah, it, it, your mom's an absolute sweetheart, man. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, she is, um, and she she loves coming to things and like kind of like support me with this stuff. It was it was more just because her and I went out to visit my sister, and I was like, "Hey, I'm talking to this thing. Like, you want to tag along before we go over to the hotel?" And she was just like, "Yeah, like let's go." Um, but uh, uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like to to your point, um, I, I feel like it's definitely just like true of like people who have like a lot of like libertarian takes. It's uh. It requires quite a bit of explanation to like really like justify your reasoning to people just because it's like so off the beaten path of right. what most people in the world think. And, uh, you know, like if I, it, it's funny too because like a lot of people I think really misinterpret, you know, the meaning of the word. Like I remember I used to work with these guys and um, I was on a project with some guys and they're, we're like talking politics and, uh, and one of them was like, yeah, like I'm, I'm a libertarian. And I was just like, do you, do you know what it means to be a libertarian? <laughs> like you're really signing on to a lot when you say that. Sure. And um, and then we like get into the conversations. I'm like, yeah, like you know, you you're not quite there. It's just like, do you think all drugs should be illegal? Right. And, uh, and are you prepared to defend that? 
and uh, and you know there's there's all these things like that that are just so obscure to most people because it's just something that's sure. never been a part of the world they've lived in. Well, they want they want freedom except for when they get scared, and then like this yeah. is like unless I'm scared, and then no freedom. Then somebody has yeah. to deal with the shit I'm scared of. That isn't yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. Like. Um, I don't know, that comes up a lot in the self-custody discussions, too, where people are like, well, I just don't trust myself, and, like, that's how they start, is I don't trust myself, and I'm like, whoa, how do you, like, I, that's such a foreign concept to me, but it's really common, I think, especially among people our age, is they don't trust themselves, like, you could talk about um, drug policy, or you could talk about gun policy, or you could talk about uh, uh, home birth, which is the thing that... Uh, we've done with all our kids that uh, Lorian's very into the, the home birth thing. And people just come back to this. Oh, I don't trust myself. I need some other person to put trust in that. I just can't relate to that kind of thing. Like the personal trust and responsibility for me is like such a forefront. I'm like, if you don't trust right. you, then how do you make it through your day? Like, how do you feed yourself? I don't understand. Right. Like you got to trust you. You're the only person you can actually literally control. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And yeah, just like it, it is funny because it's like just a very different psychology for a lot of people. And some people just don't have that internal locus of control mentality. And uh, which like it, it, it's funny because like when I was in college, um, like I was, uh, you know, I've always been very like type A. But um, when I was younger, I was I wasn't really that I don't know if capable is the right word, but I wasn't really good at understanding other people's perspectives. Uh. And like. So like I'd always be like very like type A about those kind of things, and I'd be like people would be like oh like it's kind of hard or like you know I you know I don't know if I could get myself to do that. And I'm like what do you mean like just do it right? Like, that's <laughs> how you just have control over it and do it. And uh, this makes no sense. You're stupid. You know things kind of like that. Um, but like you know over the years I, I I got a lot better at that, and uh, and now it's just like yeah like some people are just incredibly different and uh, true, and they just like don't want some of these things and uh and it's just a different psychology and it's always going to be that way you know they're never going to change right and uh and you know like to like when i quit my job like you know it, it's funny like you start to see who the based on certain people's like takes on it um the people who value security so much they're just like i could absolutely never do that you know like that, mm -hmm. I, you know i just couldn't even like fathom taking on that amount of risk in my life and like for me it's like a lot more casual thing. Like I don't, I don't really get stressed out about those kind of things. And I have a lot more, you know, confidence in like my control of, you know, getting things done or like having the future that I want. And, sure. Uh, and like some people just don't think that way. Yeah. It's, it's pretty wild to see. Um, I had an offbeat question here, but I wanted to mention the artwork for today's show, uh, that you came up with Lorian. Cause you had shown me like, Oh yeah. A pre-draft. My draft was very bland. It was like, there was just like, ah, uh, there's a certain something missing, and I'm not 100% sure what it was. We were scratching our heads thinking about it. And then I was like, could you incorporate his, like, Twitter Avi in there somehow, some way? And I, I didn't know if you could, like, crop his head out or something, but you did something a lot more brilliant, which is just take the shades in the McDonald's visor and put it on the Bitcoin. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and I was just interested in, like, the origin of that as your avi uh on twitter oh well i mean it, it was, i mean it's not really anything so like i was uh when i was on peter mccormack's podcast um well it's funny because i went on to his podcast this was in uh malibu back in february and uh i recorded 
and then you know peter and i have a good time together he's like yeah man like, let's hang out all day we're gonna do another recording and he did it with uh, american hodl and june sith and i was just sitting there with like you know the producer in the background just like having a beer you know watching the podcast go down and then like peter called me up and it was like super bright in the room so like we were like wearing our shades um <laughs> it was like this like floor-to-ceiling window condo like kind of overlooking the beach yep and uh yeah, so it was just a picture of me wearing shades on the podcast. And then, you know, I just do the McDonald's hat whenever we're in a bear market. Um, Perfect. I, I always thought that was like the most hilarious meme. And, uh, and it's funny because I feel like it almost looks like I'm actually wearing a McDonald's hat. It's pretty well done. <laughs> the yeah. whole wagey and meme. I'm, and I'm not great at like, you know, doing all the editing for the memes. So I was uh, pretty proud when I made that. Lorena's is our resident uh, artwork creator. Episode art maker. Yep. <laughs> Gotta have something flashy and new for every episode. <laughs> hey, Eric, do people mess up your last name a lot? <laughs> totally. Yeah, it's Yakes. Um, the funniest one I ever got was at my first company. We were doing this big training for like our initial class, and it was like you know 100 people in an auditorium. And the instructor instructor guy like called me out as Eric Yakez. And oh. ever since then, everybody at that company it was like a joke would call me Yakez. Nice Yakez. <laughs> Oh, I kind of like that. I kind of wish it was that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you could always change it. Be like, well, technically, it's Yakas. Yeah. yeah, and then everybody just thinks it's like Yates. Usually, that I mean, that's the most common thing. Yeah, with a T instead of a K. Right. Yates. Okay. Yeah. I actually. It's hard to like really hear the distinction when you pronounce K over a T. Yeah, definitely. Is there like a Yates though that like? that my brain wants to put in there. Cause I made the Yates error once in my feed and I had to, like I noticed it and corrected it. Uh, I think it was when I wrote your name for the split part of it. So like what the apps will show for who gets what split and I had to change it and correct it. But like, then I was like, why Yates? Like uh, the T is not close to the K on the keyboard. So it's not that I know it's Yates. Like <laughs> I'm just trying to like, I'm like, is there a famous Yates and I'm trying to make it that? I don't understand. It's de- well, I'm sure you've seen it. It's definitely like a somewhat common last name. Um, okay. It's Irish. Uh, and I think there's a good amount of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I think there's like 30 Yakeses in the country. I looked that up one time. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> the few, yeah, the proud, the Yakeses. The few and the proud, yeah, were the Yakeses. Um. The last line in the book gave me a chuckle because it's the the very last line of your author biography, which says, my Twitter is at Eric Yakes, where you can follow me for my take on the world and the humor that gets better as you lower your expectations. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was a beautiful uh, way yeah, to put it. Yeah, I definitely like to like let people know that because um, I, I think when people are, are like, oh, like he's like an author or something and like I, I do operate in, in a lot of things, I do in a lot more like serious kind of like business side of this. Um, but I also like, you know, just want to be a dude and be laid back and make sure. jokes and stuff like that. Having fun is always like, gotta have it. You got, yeah. You can't like ban it or outlaw it or sacrifice it. Yeah. <laughs> it's gotta be right. at the forefront. Uh, which is what I love about this industry just because the one I came from yeah. was like, you know, very suit and tie professional. And I was like, I can't, you know, it's just like so cringe being like that all the time. And yeah. I was like, I, I, I can't do this. Like I need to be able to just be myself when I'm doing what I care about. That's the beauty too of the, not only podcasting as a medium, but the value for value model specifically. It's like, we're not worried about pissing off an advertiser. We're not worried about, uh, any of our content you know it's all driven by our audience and uh, 
that's the only people we have right. to answer to is like the people listening out there. Uh, right. We did get 666 boost, uh-oh, uh, from Fountain uh, Count of SF, the Count of San Francisco, I would imagine, uh, who says, for the mention of 1971, which mm-hmm. uh, I guess to be more specific, uh, Nixon took us off the gold standard temporarily in 1971 and it's still in place today is the uh, is the real reference there. We also did get a voicemail, uh, which I shall play for you here shortly. I'm going to move a window around, tricking myself here. There we go. Good evening. Good evening. It's the Marcus Surfer. I'm ah. going to tune in live tonight because I can't wait to hear this one. I'm interested or interested to know how he feels about Peter Thiel and how Peter Thiel is getting involved in politics now and how Peter Thiel, love him or hate the guy, he was pretty much in the inception of most cryptocurrencies. So he's been around for a long time. And that video that we were talking about from 1999 has a lot to do with the transition we could be going into. And I'm interested to see what he would have to say about that. So I'm tuning in, guys. Thanks. And I'll be listening. Later. Later, Market Surfer. Yeah, Peter Thiel, do you have any... uh juicy thoughts on peter thiel you know not really and actually it's a really good question because it's kind of one of those things that i probably want to think through a bit more i i, I typically don't focus on people as much as i do ideas when i'm sure. like you know researching but like um yeah he, he's definitely a bit of a conundrum in a lot of ways and I, I i respect his opinions um and you know as you should if you look at the success he's had in his life um but it's not like an just because somebody's successful doesn't mean you should respect their opinions, but it's a, it's a good heuristic to look at. But he's, um, uh, you know, I think that Peter is somebody who's motivated by a lot of different interests and not just, um, you know, freedom money. I think that he definitely supports Bitcoin. Um, and I think that, well, and this kind of boils more down to like, you know, the Bitcoin maximalism type arguments or whatever that really means. But um, I would venture to guess that, you know, Peter is, um, he sees where value could potentially come in broader crypto. And he's probably made investments that he, you know, no longer thinks make sense, but what he knew at the time made sense. Um, And he probably also thinks that, you know, like, and this is also just like my personal take, but, um, you know, I think in like the crypto world, like there's obviously like most of it scams. I don't think that there's like a bunch of people who are trying to like scam everybody. Um, and I think there's people who like legitimately have good intentions that are trying to build projects. I just think that a lot of these ideas that are emerging in crypto and like some of them are pretty valuable. Um, I just don't think that they're being built in like the correct way currently. And I think eventually like that idea will probably be replicated on top of Bitcoin in some form. And, um, and I could see, you know, I think that, there's that. And also like he's an investor and investors do operate on an assumption that they're, you know, going to be wrong about certain things. So like when some people are like, in kind of like as an entrepreneur where you're just like, I'm going to, you know, concentrate my wealth into one thing and, you know, bet everything on this one thing working out. Um, you know, he's probably operating more from the perspective of like, uh, you know, what if I'm wrong about this or what if I'm wrong about that? And maybe having some sort of diversification can probably benefit me in some sort of way. Um, but there's a lot of things about Peter that I think are probably pretty hypocritical, particularly like what's going on with like Palantir. Um, but you know, nonetheless, I don't really have a super strong take other than I think he's smart. I think that he's, you know, fallible 
And, uh, and, you know, overall, I think that his thinking and what he does benefits Bitcoin in a lot of ways. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Probably measured take on it. Uh, we had been discussing it in one of these telegram back channels. Um, and he shared some video of, uh, Teal in uh, 1999, he was like discussing a, a currency that can't be stopped. And I think a lot of uh, prominent economists kind of in the 90s and early aughts were sort of pointing, and some even earlier, were pointing to, you know, if there was a currency that could be outside of all of this uh, malinfluence and outside of all of the, uh, let's say, these moral hazards that automatically present themselves in the fractional reserve system and uh, in a lot of other current systems that we depend on, that's when uh, we might finally be able to fix a lot of the problems associated with that. And it seems kind of like, it's funny too, because I just saw a clip, I don't know if it was this morning or last night, uh, somebody on Joe Rogan who was just like, you know, if only we really had this way to decentralize and uh, get out from under the power of the big banks and corporations, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, just spent 10 minutes uh, describing Bitcoin and then was like, if only we had this thing, you know? Right. And everybody's going crazy, like, should we tell him? Should we point to him? (laughs) What do we say to him? Um, I guess if I could leave on one thought or one kind of general uh, discussion, the part that I really appreciate overall, overarchingly about your book and... Uh, You do this throughout. You do this with the central banking system. You do this with the history of money. But in particular, I appreciate it, and it caught me off guard with Bitcoin itself, is you, we've kind of touched on this, but you deliver some really high concept stuff in a way that's digestible, let's say. So like, uh, I think the best example in the whole book is how you describe the entire uh, methodology of, uh, of the cryptography section of Bitcoin and why it works because you're applying uh, finite field math to elliptic curves. And it's a, it, it's a concept that I have only briefly seen mentioned maybe a couple of times the whole time I've been, you know, uh, doing my deeper dives into Bitcoin. But never, like, when people try to explain it or break it down, it's always some analogy that doesn't really strike home with me and you just dove in and like just straight up explained what's going on with visuals and with math uh and graphs and you start with like a clock to explain what finite math is um and then like these elliptic curves that basically allow you the whole point is to get a number a that you can multiply by b to get c but you can't go backwards you can't find b if you have a and c necessarily right yeah, um, that that was something like, you know, and I feel like I was something that kind of happened. Well, I guess it's more of like a kind of happened more by chance. Um, just the fact that like I didn't know a ton about computers until I got into this industry. And I, st- I still don't like know a ton about computers. But um, there was like certain concepts that were very basic that I had to like teach myself to understand some of the stuff. And I had a very like beginner's perspective when I was getting into it. And I think that that benefited me a bit in how to explain it to people because I was thinking about it from their perspective. And um, and it was very fresh in my mind what that perspective was like when I was writing it. 
Um, so I, I feel like I really didn't like lose the audience when I was able to do that, which was, you know, just kind of lucky that I didn't really know what I was doing until I got into the reading. And, um, <laughs> and that helped me just like break down these concepts in probably a bit simpler format for people. And like, you know, that, that, that's another thing where like, if we were to explain how like, um, uh, you know, point division works on an elliptic curve, which I don't because like it does get a lot more complicated, but I was kind of like going through this stuff and I was like, oh, you don't really need to like detail that stuff out. Like you just need to understand conceptually what's going on with some of this. And, uh, and people get lost in formulas and numbers pretty quickly. So I wanted to kind of create a way to explain that more simply. And, um, and yeah, I appreciate it, man. That was definitely one of the goals is to like, it it was important for me to just say like, Hey, like here's like the basics of a computer. Um, and here's like the basics of like why cryptography is valuable. Cause a lot of people will skip over that stuff, particularly people who've been in the industry for a while. Cause it's just like, you know, this, foregone conclusion that they have been operating on for years. Like it's, it's just so basic to them. But to me, I was kind of like, Oh no, it's really helpful. Like if you're talking to an army and it's like, well, why does it matter that like, you know, Bitcoin's cryptographically validated and like, sure. what does that even mean? You know? Um, and just like being like, Oh, well, you know, computers are binary sequences of numbers and they send information over lines um, using electricity. And that's like how we can communicate with each other. And the more complicated we can make those organizations of those binary ones and zeros, the more we can do. And that's kind of like what we're looking at today is just very like sophisticated, complex forms of that. And, um, and then that makes it a bit easier to explain how like cryptography can work. And, you know, I just kind of like kept building and building up to it. I love it because when I got into the book, I knew I was going to get um, a really great like intro 101 on central banking and on fractional reserve banking and, and on money. Like I knew all of that would be in there from your financial background. But then I was impressed with the Bitcoin side of stuff and the explanation there because it's it's like you're saying, and you say this often in the book, where you will introduce a term and you'll either say more on this later or I'll explain this more in the next chapter or you'll say, you know, this is a simplified ver- explanation uh, but, you know, it's too in-depth for the scope of this book. Like, you'll give, like, a simpler yeah. explanation and be like, it's actually more complicated, however, for the purposes of here, like, we're going to keep it this simple, which I appreciate because a lot of times um, when people start trying to do the orange pill thing, uh, they'll a lot of times overshoot and they'll, like, overcomplicate things. And the explanation, the analogy ends up actually being a little bit more muddied than what really is going on. Um like blocks being solved, the most uh, common way I hear that described is that all the miners are racing to be the first to solve like a complicated math problem, which um, it, it, it's not necessarily entirely inaccurate, but it's way easier to say they're guessing a number. Everybody's guessing a number until they get the right number in a random number right. game. And you just want it to fall below a certain difficulty target, and that's when you find the next block. Like... um a lot of people hear that and they're like, wait, is that all? Because when you hear that they're like solving this complicated math problem, then they're like, well, what is the math problem? Like, can it not be solved or is it hard to solve? Or like, who's solving it? What What's the purpose of it being solved? Whose math are we working on here? You know, like, what's the secret right. shadowy organization that needs this math problem solved? Like, all of these other questions that are total distraction questions come up when it's like, wait, we're, we're way in the weeds now. Um, but I just, I love how you also kind of take multiple passes at it. So I think like for that, 
specifically. At one point, you said uh, that the nodes, uh, the miners, are solving a a puzzle, but then another part, you said they need to like um, solve the algorithm, um, yeah. like different phrases. Like the it was proof put, of work algorithm. The proof of work algorithm. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So I just thought. Um, for me, having already done a lot of work with nodes and knowing, you know, like mempool, watching watching mempool, I think, by the way, is like one of the best ways to kind of figure out what's going on uh, in the moving parts of Bitcoin. But I just think like going back to that get in the car and drive analogy, like you don't need to know what software a node runs or like how to build one or what's going wrong with one or how to manage it all. Like, like with a car to get to the grocery store, I don't need this big detailed explanation, but I can very simply describe how an engine works, right? You have an engine, you put gas in there, you have a fuel injector that sprays a spark plug. The spark plug sparks. It makes a little explosion. It pushes the piston and that motion turns the engine and then that rotation is then applied to the axles and and then to the wheels and makes your car go forward, right? Like, do I know, Do can I look at an engine and pull it apart and put it back together again? No. Do I know necessarily what's going on when it makes a certain sound? No. But just like this basic explanation that can be given for like how an engine works, I think that's what we need with Bitcoin is just like the more simplicity and the more like we should be able to say it in like two or three sentences and it's because everybody walks around like uh that's why i think the hardest part for normies to get in right now is like they're like well tell me a little bit more and then it's just this tangent that is like whoa i'm sorry i asked you know <laughs> like um it's a big challenge though and i think that uh you've really stepped up to the plate and delivered uh something great to answer that challenge in this book that you've put out thanks man i appreciate it I just want to say, too, I think that this book is a great homeschool resource and that if there's any homeschoolers in the audience, that you should look into it. <laughs> Get it for your kids. There you go. Economics course. Yeah. Yeah. It lays everything out. It's beautiful because it's econ, but it's also history, but it's also like computer um, science and cryptography. Like there's so many different aspects that are in here. Right, which is the, uh, that's what makes Bitcoin so hard to understand is the field of knowledge that it overlaps across is like so much. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it, it, it's a very, it's, a, it's just a really complicated thing to understand. I did have one final question on my notes, which you just reminded me of because um, the more meetups I go to and the more people I meet in this space, I just seem to find there's this weird overlap of other different concepts or other different hobbies that seem to just for some weird wild reason, like overlap with Bitcoin, whether it be, um, you know, food intelligence and food sourcing and, and dietary, uh, considerations and things like eating beef that's cleanly sourced or, uh, homesteading on a micro level. Are there any other, I was curious if there are any other weird Bitcoin hobbies that you find yourself, uh, sucked into that don't at first seem to have anything to do with bitcoin <laughs> uh, you know honestly not really um the one thing but the thing is is like this wasn't um i i did this before i was in bitcoin okay so like i've always been very uh i've always been very like contrarian i i 
like the second like a bunch of people are doing something, it just makes it like a less attractive thing for me to do. I sure. Kind of like, oh, I don't, I don't want to do that if everybody's doing it. But um, I was always like, I was always kind of a carnivore. I just like loved red meat. And before I like was aware of the Bitcoin culture or anything, I just always loved barbecue and red meat. And uh, and then I get into Bitcoin, and it's like, oh, there's this massive carnivore culture. And I was like, ah, like ah, you're making it <laughs> that less was, cool. That was kind of, yeah, that was kind of my thing. It was and my now thing. it's not. Now I feel like I'm like a sheep because I eat red meat. Uh, but, um, you were eating red meat before it was cool. Yeah, I was doing it before it was cool. I'll vouch but, for um, you. That's probably that. like that, that's the only thing. Um, and you know, maybe at some point I can claim the title of being the best barbecue guy in Bitcoin. We should have like a Ooh, competition. Because yeah, I would like to see. Hey, who else is out there? Next time you're in the city, man, we'll go uh, smoke something on my back deck. I'd be happy to. We'll get a pork butt going or maybe some ribs or a uh, fat-ass brisket or something. That sounds fantastic to me. Yeah, man, I'm a, I'm a huge brisket guy. And uh, I actually yeah. think I do want to join. Like, there's, uh, there's a decent amount of barbecue competitions out in Colorado. I think I'm good enough to uh, potentially go after a title at one of, one of these more local ones, but we'll see. Hell yeah, we'll have to... Uh, have a smoke off sometime compare briskets my man yeah get the kc bitcoiners together no doubt well eric man thanks so much for sitting down with us it's been a great time very enlightening uh thank you also for your book the seventh property bitcoin and the monetary revolution um it really has become like a, a cornerstone of my continuing bitcoin education so we yeah t- man thanks for having me it's been a blast of course And uh, thank you to all the bowlers out there for hanging out with us. If you're listening to this live or if you're listening to it sometime in the future on a podcast app, just remember you can boost us and uh, Eric gets a portion of that that boost. So Forever and ever. That's what Value for Value is all about. We appreciate it very much. And uh, we are going to see you on Tuesday night, as always. Till then, I'll be Sir Spencer, Wolf of Kansas City. I'll be Dame DeLorean. Until next time, may your bowls burn ever brighter. Bowl after bowl. Bowl, 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 bowl after bowl. Bowl after bowl. Bowl after bowl till he's sick. Dame DeLorean, Sir Spencer Wolf of Kansas City. May your bowls burn ever brighter. Bowl after bowl.com. Bowl after bowl.com.